welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and moms. Join us as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out. It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way. This is Inspiration from the Couch, and today we're going to talk about anxiety. I was thinking that anxiety might be a helpful thing for us to talk about, both because we're coming out of the pandemic experience, which I think for a lot of people raised their anxiety. Also, I think the re-entry, I'm hearing a lot about re-entry anxiety, kind of this idea of like, how do I do small talk? Or like, what do I do with my hands? What am I supposed to say? How does this go? That kind of re-entry stress. So what about you guys? Are you guys hearing about anxiety in your practices? Are you kind of seeing it out and around? All the time. Yeah. It's extremely common. Yes. How about you, Lucy? Yeah. Because anxiety disorders are really very, very common. They affect about 18 to 20% of the general population. And that's like diagnosable anxiety disorders. And I would go so far to say that I think anxiety symptoms probably affect most, if not all, of the population. And when we talk about anxiety, what we're really talking about is, on one hand, a, a good thing, right? The ability to kind of look ahead into the future and kind of predict or think about negative negative outcomes and try to do something now to like avoid those. I mean, that's not a bad thing. But with anxiety, we're kind of thinking about fear, worry that's maybe not fitting or commiserate with the situation. Does that kind of sound right for you guys? How would you guys define anxiety? Well, and Avery, I love that you just said that because sometimes, you know, clients will come into therapy or I think we we go about our lives and we have this goal of getting rid of all anxiety or I wish I was anxiety free. And so kind of having this conversation and setting the expectation that we actually don't want to get rid of all anxiety because some of it is really helpful and functional and adaptive. So I think it's more so where do we draw this line between anxiety that is useful and that it's unavoidable and then anxiety that we really want to work on turning the volume down because it starts to interfere. 100%. I hear that a lot in my practice too, that this like the goal is not an anxiety-free life. That's not possible for us. That's not possible for our kids. But really what we want is for that anxiety. I kind of think about it sometimes as like a bully or a concerned friend. Like a bully might say some really nasty things about the future of like, everything's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. But a concerned friend might say, hey, you know, that test that's coming up tomorrow, you might want to study for it a little bit more. So that idea of kind of identifying helpful versus unhelpful anxiety, worry, concern. I think one of the things that I do for my clients is differentiate fear and anxiety Mm. because a lot of times people lump those things together. How do you distinguish them? So fear is a more present moment emotional experience. So fear is what you experience when you're actually in a threatening situation or a harmful situation. So for example, you know, if you see a big scary animal, I know recently there was some TikTok or something that went around on the media about this woman who shoved this bear, <laughs> shoved this big mama yeah, bear. I saw oh, did that. you did yes. you see that? Yeah, to, in order to protect her dog. Fear. That would be fear, right? Uh-huh. So it's it's right there. And on the other hand, though, anxiety is more future oriented. You're worried about the future. And so, for example, if you're that person who shoved that bear off of the ledge or, or whatever in order to protect the dog, she may start thinking about, oh, what if this happens again mm. in the future? This reminds me of, you know, 
X, Y, Z. I think another way that I like to think about fear and anxiety is sometimes I'll use the metaphor of a roller coaster. So anxiety is what you experience when you get strapped in Mm. to the roller coaster. It's that anticipation. It's like, ooh, what's going to happen? You know, and then fear is as you are cresting over that first gigantic hill. We're here. This is it. (laughs) This is is happening. So one emotion is about the anticipation of the event. The other is about the actual experience of the event. So let me ask a quick clarifying question, right? So I'm imagining times where maybe let's say I was home alone and I was watching like some scary show like SVU, you know, one or like Criminal Minds, like one of those shows that like kind of gets in your head, right? And all of a sudden I feel afraid and scared. Like I experience it as fear, but I almost hear you saying that that's more anxiety and almost like a child too, who's maybe like alone and they're like, mom, come in, I'm afraid. But that's maybe more anxiety. I would say yes, more anxiety because it has to do with the interpretation of the event that's that's going on. Yes, you've seen something, it's anxiety inducing or uh, as you know, like watching a scary movie, like you said, but then like you hear a noise and then you interpret it as something. Oh, yeah. So that to me is a little bit, a little bit different. Because there's no actual threat. Right. Tell me about your experience with anxiety. Have you guys experienced anxiety? What is that like for you? Never. Never? Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> side note, grow up and be like Jamie. Wouldn't it be so nice to have anxiety for you? I am cool as a cucumber cool all awesome. the time. Oh, I all love the time. that. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just part of our natural human experience, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're wired that way. We have a fight or flight response for a reason. It's there. It's protective. And, you know, anxiety, like you were had been saying, Avery, I mean, it's a really important emotion. It's not something that you're going to ever be able to get rid of, but can learn to manage if it starts to kind of get out of hand or take over your experience. Right. Right. Along those lines, yes, I tend to have a lot of anxiety. And that's, I mean, one thing also I think about in terms of temperament, right? So I think that there's some people who are just wired in a way where they're going to be a little more anxious, right? So once again, I think we probably all have these clients that come into therapy and we have to talk a little bit about, you're just kind of wired as more high anxiety. And I think I'm one of those people. And so even if I'm in a really good place, I'm just going to be a little more keyed up than, Mm -hmm. than someone else who's not wired that way. Same. I refer to it as I kind of run anxious. And so there are days and and maybe even seasons in my life where things are going okay and I I have a pretty good handle on it. But when something happens, whether it be, you know, like a global pandemic or a medical crisis, I mean, that is where I'm going to go most quickly, kind of fall into that river of anxiety. And it can be really taxing. It can really kind of even affect my functioning sometimes. It can really affect my sleep. It can really affect my ability to kind of be in the moment and be present in my relationships. Um, It can kind of just take me out. It it really does affect my life. And I think it affects a lot of people's lives. And I think that that is one of the things I see as being the biggest detrimental impact of anxiety is it keeps us disconnected That's right. from ourselves and yeah. disconnected from other people. So if I'm very anxious, unless I was sitting here really anxious about something, I wouldn't be able to be fully present. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. it keeps us in our head. I'm almost like imagining we're cut off at the neck and we're like in our head rather than being in our body. So what kinds of situations really seem to create that anxiety for you guys? Or what kinds of situations do you see as being really high anxiety situations in your practice? So for me, I don't necessarily like doing presentations or speaking Mm. in front of a lot of people, uh, especially if it's something that I haven't done before. So new situations, public speaking, which I think is probably the most common 
anxiety yeah. inducing yep. situation for like people. Number one, uh-huh. I don't care for that. And another big one is when I anticipate having to fly. So mm. I'm not a fan of flying. I love to travel, but flying is not my cup of tea. And I get a lot of physiological symptoms of anxiety mm-hmm. when I fly. In fact, have to take medication, quite honestly, propranolol, mm-hmm. to deal with the physical symptoms of anxiety because my hands sweat a ton. Yeah. yeah, my armpits sweat a ton. Yeah, A lot of, a lot of information for all of you, but hey, you know, yeah. that's my experience. So a lot of people do experience anxiety physiologically, right? Yes. So I think that there, there are two types. Some people have more mm-hmm. of the worry and the cognitive piece, and then there's some people where it is far more in the body. Yeah. So let's run through what are some of the symptoms people might have if they're experiencing anxiety in the body? Oh, for sure. So for, for me, I will say I get this feeling kind of in the pit of my stomach, and it just, it almost feels like I just go in this cave. Like it's like, oh, but a pit in my stomach, very tight in my chest, shallow breathing which of course is like a downward spiral because you can't get a good breath. And that would be very helpful if you're feeling anxious. I also get a lot of tension in my back. I've heard of people getting, it does not really happen for me, but like really like headaches, stomach aches, nausea, even like vomiting, or those kind of like the sweaty heart symptoms as well, like feeling sweaty, feeling flush, feeling faint. Yeah. What about you guys? Any others I've missed? What I was going to say too, when when we have that really extreme, that's when we get into like panic attack sort of territory, right? So all of those can be panic-like symptoms. It's that sympathetic nervous system kind Mm -hmm. of gearing up and coming online. But I'm a head anxiety, so I feel less in my body and I'm more of just like the spinning, like the Mm -hmm. circling the drain in my head. So it's much more cognitive. Yeah. And I think for me, it just depends on the situation. So I think like public speaking, it might be more in my head, but then right as I get to approach the situation, then woo, like let's break out into a sweat. Like let's right. let's do that. My voice will get shaky sometimes. And then I have to just calm myself down. And unfortunately sometimes by the end of the presentation, then I'm calm. But <laughs> yeah. throughout the majority of it, yeah. I'm like, Ugh. yeah. And then flying, yes, like I said, it's lots of physiological, big, big hand sweater. Yeah. <laughs> So you both mentioned in your head, what what happens to your thinking when you're in anxiety? What is that thinking like? What are your thoughts like when you're in anxiety? I think of it and I'm doing my like finger like round and round, like it's this loop that almost feels like, like I keep replaying the same things, like whatever it might be over and over and over. And it's almost like this, this trap. Like if I think about it enough or just go through it one more time, like then I'll be able to find peace or resolution. But like that's a trap because it doesn't quite work. And I not only the round and round, but also too, I look at it as kind of this funnel or tunnel vision Uh uh where that's all there is. Like there's blinders on to everything else, but all I'm thinking about and and doing that round and round circle like you mentioned, Lucy, that's what happens for me. It's hard to focus on anything it's else. It's hard to focus on anything else. I had this wonderful patient it describe their anxiety thoughts this way, and I just loved it. They said, living in anxiety or having my anxiety thinking is like being on a very emotional phone call and trying to do my life. I love that so much because that's what it feels like for me. Is like my emotions, my thoughts are so wrapped up in this anxiety, and I'm so focused on that. And I'm trying to do things like make dinner and I'm trying to do things like drive my car. And it's just so distracting and keeps kind of pulling me 
out. And for me, I definitely get that round and round kind of fixation. I also get this thing I call stacking, where it's like I do this like fortune telling thing and I'm like assuming, well, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and then this is going to happen. So like, I'm going to get sick and then you're going to sick and then we're going to leave our child and she's not going to have any parents. And I mean, it's like I can really get far down the line of this stacking of like assuming that these just really negative, anxious thoughts are going to be true. And then we're going to have to build our future on those. So the catastrophic thinking that is so, so common with anxiety, like imagining these worst case scenarios and almost, I mean, I think the horrible irony of it is we're almost like living it as if it's already happening in the moment, right? And so I might as well go ahead and feel all those feelings now. And I think some people do it almost as a way to protect, right? If I can prepare myself for the worst case scenario right now, then I'll be okay when it happens. But the irony is if that worst case scenario were to happen, you'd still have to have the feelings. You still have to be in it. And there, that is, it's, it's like this feeling out of control and wanting to be in control by thinking it through or having a plan or controlling in some way, an uncontrollable situation. Yeah. Sometimes I talk with my clients that they're living it twice, basically. Right. So if, if you're already imagining the worst possible scenario and you're having all of those feelings and then it actually comes true, you're, you're going to have done it twice. Yeah. Exactly. And there's this thinking that if I somehow think it all the way through now and plan it all the way through, then I somehow won't have to do it in the moment. But of course we will. Right. I mean, like, of course, we'll get there to that moment, whatever that moment is, whether the worst thing happens or not. And we're still going to have to live through it. So thinking about both anxiety can happen in our thoughts, anxiety can kind of happen up, show up in our bodies. What are some exit ramps for you guys? What have you found to be helpful either in your own lives or with your patients that once you're in that, how do you get out of it? So this has been so cool for me the past maybe year or two is feeling like there's all of a sudden this alternate path. Because I think in the past, and I think maybe a lot of us are trained even in these, what they call cognitive behavioral approaches. Right. Right. And so a lot of the cognitive work is how do you almost challenge your thinking? How do you fight? But for me, that would end up being like a losing tug of war and like a never ending battle. And so I think what I have found to be most powerful is how do I actually get out of my head altogether? And it's really the last place you want to go because the head keeps like pulling you in and wants to like suck you in and keep you trapped. But for me, it's how do I get into my body instead, right? So how do I feel my feet? How do I like notice what it feels like in my body and almost work with that in terms of body imagery or kind of use Mm. more like meditation-based approaches? But that has been incredibly powerful and compassion, you know, which is another topic we'll talk about in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. What about for y'all? Yeah. I think similarly, Lucy, tuning in and paying attention to what is happening to your bodily felt experience. And sometimes what I'll do is really try to notice like what is going on and how am I seated? What is my posture like? You know, when you're in an anxious posture, you're really sort of closed up, tense and tight. Whereas if you want to be more relaxed, I mean, just kind of noticing that opening up your hands in a more open posture, kind of opening up like your shoulder area, your chest, rather than just really tight and closed mm-hmm. off. Like un- Clitching your your brow, oh, your jaw, yes. like opening your arms up. Oh. Right. Yeah. Right. I've I've found that to be true for me too. One thing that's really helpful about getting back in the body is that the body only exists in the present and anxiety really exists in the future. And so I've done something similar. I'll either put my hand on my chest. The other day I was really panicky and I actually just laid down on the floor and could kind of feel the floor like supporting my body. And just this kind of idea of like, okay, I can only inhabit my body in the present is almost this reminder of like, I can only do this one moment at a time. 
I don't need to spend this moment planning the next 5,000 moments. I can just be in this moment. A really wise supervisor once said that to me as well, that you know, anxiety exists only in the future. You can't really be anxious about something that's happening to you right this moment. And that's really helpful to me of like, okay, right in this moment. And sometimes I'll even remind myself, right in this moment, I'm laying on my floor of my office, <laughs> right in this well, moment. What a relief is yeah. that? To yeah. not have to figure out the next 500 steps, to oh not my have gosh. to like get, figure out the future. And to right. just be right here. Just to be right here. So that's something to do in the moment. I kind of think about that as almost like life rafts. Like if we're in the river of anxiety, those are some good like life rafts to hold on to. What about like guardrails? Guardrails that kind of keep you out of the river to begin with. I have a couple, but what about you guys? What keeps you running less anxious? Have you found anything? One of the things that I do and teach my clients are all kinds of actual relaxation mm. exercises. And I think there's a misconception about doing them that, hey, this is only useful when I'm the height of my anxiety. And actually, you'll probably be less successful if you've never practiced relaxation exercises. Yes. And then you try to jump into it when you're at like the height of panic, panic. or height of, height of anxiety. It's probably not going to work that well for you. So I think it's important really to practice and try to do it on a daily basis, even if it's just for a few minutes and finding the exercises that work for you. You know, there are so many apps now nowadays, you know, commercials for the Calm app or Headspace or what have you, so many YouTube videos, you can find something that floats your boat. So I just recommend that people look for what they like, what they gravitate towards and and practice it for a few minutes every day. That's great. What about you, Lucy? Yeah, I think same sorts of things. So a lot of that mindfulness, meditation-based work, how do you kind yeah. of have a consistent practice with that? I think movement can sometimes be really helpful in mm -hmm. terms of managing kind of anxiety and stress levels. I think getting support, you know, talking about the things that are going on, journaling can be a good strategy, kind of all these. How do you keep those things processed and kind of moving? Right. And one thing I like about what you're both saying of kind of practicing those when you're not in the height of anxiety kind of makes those more available when you are. It's very hard to think clearly when you are in panic. But if you've got these things that you're practicing every day, it's just so much easier. Like, oh, here's this app that I've already used today. Let me just open that. Other things I will say I've found in my own life that are really helpful are sleep and honestly, staying away from substances, too much caffeine, too much alcohol. Those are things that are going to maybe make me feel a little bit better in the moment, but over time may really make me feel worse. And I think we all, you kind of have to get to know yourself of what is the thing looking for patterns. And I think especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I was anxious and would then drink alcohol, which would make me maybe feel a little bit better, I thought in the moment. But then the next day, it was almost like I had this anxiety hangover of like more anxiety. But so I think kind of just monitoring that that can be really helpful and being honest with yourself of like, hey, this really does seem to contribute. Just to underscore the point you made too about in the moment, it's hard to access clear thinking and problem solving, right? When we're really like anxious and overwhelmed. And so how do we almost like keep a list or have reminders places? Because I think some of this is just a matter of remembering to do it, right? right? So sometimes I'll work with clients on like a fire escape plan. That's right. right. Or how do we have kind of some, some of this accessible so that you already have it like set up and you just have to like look at your list or your plan. Right. Right. And I think another thing I've kind of thought about as being helpful from a thought-based 
perspective is I mentioned that kind of stacking that idea when I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And we're going to talk actually in another podcast about curiosity. And I feel like that's a really nice replacement for those expectations, right? When we kind of can replace expectations with acceptance, I mean, replace expectations of what's to come with acceptance of what is. And then that kind of curiosity. I remember at one point over the last year, I was very panicked. I had this moment of clarity where I was like, it is impossible for me to stay this panicked for a very long period of time. Like I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be this panicked. My body just simply can't sustain it. And so there was this kind of like opening of like, well, I wonder what that's going to look like of just like a little bit of curiosity. And we'll, like I said, we'll talk more about that in our, in our next episode. So do try this at home. I think the other really important piece about when I think about anxiety is this idea that when we're anxious, what we want to do is avoid, right? So when we're really anxious, we want to kind of stay at home. We want to avoid the things that make us anxious. But what we know is that one of the best ways to overcome anxiety is to expose ourselves to the things that make us anxious. So I know we've talked about this kind of cognitive piece and the mindfulness piece of being present, but I think there's also this behavioral piece of how do we expose ourselves to the things that make us anxious. So we, what's called habituate, right? So if the anxiety is really high, you know, the more we practice, the more we do it, we get in the situation, we stay in it, and the anxiety will come down and soften. And so I don't know what your experiences are if y'all think about that concept. I am so glad you brought that up. I think that's so important, that anxious avoidance cycle of like, we want to avoid, but then we don't get that good information about, hey, this is not really that threatening. I think about that, especially when it comes to parenting, allowing our kids to avoid things that scare them both communicate, yeah, that really is scary and threatening, and also kind of rob them of the opportunity to see, hey, this can be scary and manageable. So I'm so, so glad you pointed that out because I think that's really, really important. That's where it gets a little dicey too, though, because of course, some things should be avoided, right? And so it's kind of that like, what do we listen to and what do we not listen to? As we were kind of mentioning before, when is it the helpful kind of anxiety that's saying like, ooh, let's protect you versus the unhelpful anxiety that's saying, let's not try this thing that's really not that threatening. What are your thoughts, Jamie? Yeah, I work with quite a few people that either have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder or they have phobias about certain things. And so that's usually a pretty key component in my working with the clients is getting them to sort of slowly tiptoe in to situations that make them really anxious so that they can habituate to the situations and see, hey, objectively, these really aren't that scary. I can handle it. And they're able to take in new information rather than avoiding like like you were saying, Lucy. So do you have some specific examples of this? So I've had a client a long time ago who had a really bad phobia of elevators. And so we started out small, just looking at like pictures of elevators, watching YouTube videos of elevators, Mm. and then worked our way up to going to approach an elevator and standing outside the elevator door. And then he and I would get in an elevator together and ride it up and down two floors. And then I would have him go out into the community, find elevators out there with his partner, go up and down in in those elevators, all different types of elevators Mm -hmm. to eventually work to him doing that on his own. And over time, he just got better and better and that became a non-issue for him. 
I work with a lot of eating disorders, right? And so exposure to feared foods is one of the biggest parts of treatment too, right? So and often I'll talk with clients, like we could sit in my office all day and talk about it'll be okay to eat something or that like you're not going to gain 400 pounds, right? Like you're going to survive and be all right. But until they actually do it and have that experience of, wow, I can eat and my body's not going to balloon up or I'm not going to lose control. You just can't talk about it enough. You've got to live it. I think that is one of the best things that we do. That's why the treatment of phobias for me is like one of my favorite things to do, because if people will do it, will commit to it, improvement can happen really quickly, actually. So I, I really enjoy the exposure types of treatment. And, you know, I try to do that in my own life, too. I don't want to just sort of talk to talk. I want to walk to walk. And so even though I am really I get really nervous about flying, I will say it is a lot less than what it was several years ago. Granted, I can't go hop on a plane like every day or every weekend, but I am flying more frequently. It's not as as big of a deal. I'm, I'm habituating to it. Do you notice that, that as you fly more often, that fear decreases? Yes, yes. I mean, I think during the pandemic year, I mean, I wasn't really going anywhere. And so had kind of fallen out of that practice. And so then kind of when we we took a trip for the first time, it had been a while since I had flown, I noticed that my anxiety was higher. But now that we're traveling a bit more, it's it's not as intense as what it was. To bring it around, Avery, I know you started the podcast mentioning the anxiety and kind of this fear people have. And so if we had any notes, you know, on that for people who are listening, who are maybe starting the reentry, and there is a lot of anxiety around it. Really what I'm hearing both of you say, even with this exposure, is that it's not forced all at once, worst case scenario immediately. It's it's very it's actually a very validating approach of yes, we know this is scary and we're gonna do it little by little. We're not gonna go from not flying at all to flying every day. We're not gonna go from not riding in an elevator to like riding it, you know, 20 floors. That it's it's graded exposure, it's it's over time and kind of under control, right? And I'm not gonna go from like having been at home seeing no one to all of a sudden like living like no pandemic was That's there before. Right. That's or expect myself to, yes. right? Expect that I can just, you know, it's just a little blip and I can go back to parties and know exactly what to do and exactly what to say and it didn't affect me. So I think there's that validation piece of this is hard, this is anxiety provoking. That doesn't mean it needs to be avoided, but it does mean we need to kind of approach it with compassionate care. And so I think that that's a really important thing, especially if you're kind of managing this in your own life or or with kids, that you can validate that the anxiety is there, that this feels scary. And also communicate that this actually isn't a threatening situation and we're going to do it little by little and I'm here for you, right? I've got your back and I'm, we're going to do this as, you know, I kind of think about if you could see my hands right now, I'm kind of like making a small circle and a bigger one. We're not going to go way out of your comfort zone. We're going to just like go a little step out of your comfort zone, like one step at a time. So any pearls of wisdom, anything that you guys would like to say to do try this at home? I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind, and this is just from my own experience of what was most powerful, is how do you interrupt that cycle of anxious rumination if you're prone to that? So if you find yourself looping or going around, instead of getting caught on that thought train, so to speak, and letting it take you like to a different country miles and miles away, right? How do you start to learn and practice strategies to exit? And I would recommend just starting by coming into your body in the present moment. And I would encourage people to do things that are relaxing for themselves every day. Just have that incorporated into your schedule. So that way, when you do get into a heightened state of anxiety, that it's there, it's accessible, and it's something that you'll already have known how to do. 
And I think one thing that's oh, we kind of mentioned, kind of getting to know yourself, I think it could be very helpful to keep track, to take note, maybe in a journal or even like a rating, kind of noticing where you are on the anxiety spectrum so that you can start to learn what are the things that are helpful, what are the things that may be getting your way. And so if, if you can kind of keep track and take note of that and kind of be your own expert on what anxiety feels like for you, that can be really helpful. So I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you all for joining us and we look forward to seeing you soon. And next week, next week, we're going to talk about curiosity and we hope that you'll join us for that. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com. Thank you.